The story of salvation is already working in our lives. And the eternity of praise that we're going to do with our Heavenly Father has already started here. It is no practice. Someone said, hey, everything on earth is just a practice for eternity. This is not practice, folks. This is real. We get an opportunity to say forever in my life, right in this moment, he is alive. He is alive. What an honor it is to come and stand before you on today and talk about our second value. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit on the passionate side about this value. And one of the reasons I am is that, to be honest with you, when we talk about our vision and our mission, this particular value finds itself in all three of our mission statements, every one of them in our vision statement. It's connected to all of those. So if you'd allow me, I'm going to walk us through something that has, I believe, great significance for us as a church But more importantly, I hope today has great significance for you and for me. Because I believe without this component, when we look around and see the church through history, we might see here one of our failures. If we look close, we may see the area that you and I are not quite sometimes on target. We're a little off. And I'm hoping today that God's word will come alive in us. We'll see where we can get back on target and find out what it means to do this value. Number two, the value today, all healthy things grow and all growth involves change. I've called this today when I grow up. Let me see if I can ask you a question. What did you say you wanted to be when you were young? When someone would ask you, when you grow up, who do you want to be? What do you want to be? Anybody want to volunteer something here? Come on, somebody thought something. Go. An astronaut. I love it. I guess a generation of the 60s seeing that whole program, you're going, that's me. Yeah, over here. An emergency kind of person. Absolutely. Wonderful. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. A mermaid. How cool is that? Just swim along in the Gulf all day long. I love that. What else? Yes, sir. I wanted to be a cowboy. Absolutely. What else? Yes, sir. Way back there. A major league playing cowboy. Exactly. Very good. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Or sir. Sorry. Say it loud for me. Be in the army. Excellent choice. You know, we all had dreams at one point. Sometimes those dreams didn't turn up. But we all thought, even at a young age, of what it would be when we grow up. Have any guess what mine would be? You probably never would guess. I've dug out a picture. I'm so sorry for this, but if I said it, you wouldn't believe it. This is what I wanted to be when I grew up. Now, wait a minute. I, I, I'm decked out, baby. I mean, I, I've, got the, I've got the boots. I've got, I got, got the pants. I've got the gun. I've got the badge. I've got the shirt. I got the hat, but more importantly, catch this, I got the attitude. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 
I, I, I had the cowboy attitude. You know, I was there. I want to be a cowboy more than anything. And, and you know what? You know why? Because if you were of my generation, you were raised on three, at least, three big cowboy shows. Before you show the slide, anybody know one of them? Gunsmoke, I heard that. Another one? Roy Rogers, absolutely. That's four, if I didn't count that one. Another one? He has a mask, the Lone Ranger, very good. Now, this one you may not know, but this is my favorite. Bonanza was pretty good. I got the Rifleman. Right? I practiced flipping my rifle out in the backyard. I even got my mom to buy me one with a little circle thing so I could practice that thing. I wanted to be a cowboy when I grew up. What do you think God wants you and I to be when we grow up? What does that look like for you? Well, there is no reason to speculate for it because God is pretty plain in his scripture about telling us who we're supposed to be when we grow up in faith. In his mind, I believe he had given me some gifts and talents. He knew where he was going to place me in the time and place He knew the parents and the surrounding I have. He put me there specifically to be a unique and specific purpose. And he did that for me because he had an idea. When I grew up, this is how I want to use him. This is who I want him to become. And I believe God's word says that he has the same intent and desire for each of you. We are called to be fully devoted Followers of Christ. Let me ask you to another way, not just who you grow up, but are you more grown up this year than you were last year? Now think about that for a second. I think naturally most of us would quickly say, well, yes, because I don't want to answer no to that. But if you answered yes, then I'm going to ask you a second question. How? How do you see yourself more like the God that designed you the God who had you in mind specifically, how are you more like that person this year than you were last year? Because I think that's ultimately what God calls us all to, this progressive growth, this constant moving forward. All right, I'm going to do another uh, question for you. You don't have to answer this one out loud, but in your head. Ready? Fill in this blank. Growing is... Essential, as someone said. Anybody got another one? I'll, I'll take it. Growing is change. Okay, what else? Growing is maturing. P- painful. Although I right alongside it, I can say growing sometimes is fun, right? All right, let me ask another one for you. If that's what growing is, if I were to say change is, how do you feel that then? Inevitable. Hard. I'm sorry? Knowledgeable. Living. Good. Challenging. Listen, most of us, if we kind of took a poll, if we asked the question, do you want to grow, would answer yes. Really quickly. Do you want to look more like Christ? Absolutely. Are you willing to change whatever he calls you to do? That second question, Mo has a pause. Now, if we're in quiet in ourselves and our spirit, we stop. 
We put on the brakes a little bit. Somebody asked us that in public. We said, oh, sure, yeah, I want to change. I'm willing to do whatever God would ask me to do. But privately, in our own heart, it scares us to death. Change is scary. There's no doubt about that. Growth is something we want to do, but we really don't want to have to do the work, right? It took me about three years of telling myself I need to lose some weight before I suddenly did something about it. I wanted to get thinner but I wasn't willing to make the change necessary to pull that off. So wanting it is not enough. We've got to act on that. God wants you to grow, and I believe he does. And God wants me to grow, and I believe he does. He requires us to walk through the process of change. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us this whole list of things. It tells us there's a time for a birth and death to plant and to harvest, to weep and to laugh, to keep and to throw away. But you know the one thing it doesn't tell us there's a time for? And that is to be status quo. To stay like we are. For if you look from a, a science, and boy, this is going to be a little tricky, because if you knew much about me, you knew science and I were not friends in school. But I'm going to bear, bear with me as I push through this for a second. If you look in science, here's what we discover in God's wonder in this universe. Everything is growing or decaying. There is no middle step. There is no place that something just stops where it is. You and I, just like our own planet, just like the smallest element of life there is, you and I are either growing or we're decaying. The only difference between normal life, my physical health, is that my spiritual life, I get to have a big input into that. I get to make that determination whether I am growing or I am decaying. The possibility lies that I could grow right up to the time that I move out of this body and go meet Jesus. And from then I'll continue to grow and know more and more of who God is. But until then, I get an opportunity to have a vote in that. Not just wanting to grow, but making the change necessary. So to do that, God invites us to make, be a part of some very specific steps that we're going to look at in 1 Peter Chapter 2, if you'd like to join me with your Bibles, you can look at chapter 2. We're just going to look at three verses. Verse 1, 2, and 3 at the beginning of 1 Peter, over toward the end of the New Testament, all the way uh, toward the right. Here it is. Ready? Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that... By it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted the Lord is good. I believe there's some, there's some hints there for us of how we can take this desire to grow and move it forward by being willing to change. Verse 1, it says, we're to throw aside. Now, let me give you a little hint of where the Bible is telling there. It doesn't mean that we just kind of push it over a little bit. I'm not to take those things that hinder me down and just kind of keep them within arm's reach so that when life gets to be difficult, I can grab a hold of this crutch that I so desperately hang on to with life sometimes. Those things that I somehow find my own self-medication for. 
things that I think are important in life, God says this, throw it aside. It's just going to weight you down. You have a big race in front of you. You have a lot of change that you need to do. And as long as you're holding on to these things, you're not going to get to the end of the race very quickly. You're not going to go very far. That marathon is going to be a lot longer than you think. Therefore, it says, put aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. We've got to throw those things in our lives far, far away from us. Push them away. The very first thing someone who's going through recovery learns is this. Don't go back to the places that used to be associated with the thing that you had trouble with. So if you used to always walk outside and smoke a cigarette after a dinner, don't go do that. If you used to always have an extra couple of drinks too much, don't go to places where that's going to tempt you. Take those things in your life that pull you away And don't just set them down beside you so you can grab them, but push them far away. This new life in Christ calls for a continuous pushing away. Another word for that in the scripture is this, repentance. Because it gives us a clear understanding that it's not just pushing it beside us. Repentance means I was walking this way and I stopped and I admitted that the direction I was walking was wrong and that I'd violated God's law. But not only did I admit that, I then stopped and turned around the exact opposite and ran the other direction. That's what the implication here. That the only way that we're going to find ourselves changing is to put aside, to repent of those things that are hindering us. Throw aside. I'll give you a picture of throwing aside. Any of you don't know, some of you do, that I don't do very well with reptiles. I don't do very well with bugs. I don't do very well with rats and mice. So roaches, rats, and snakes. I'm telling you, I will be out in the parking lot. Don't ask me to come rescue you. Because I'm going to be screaming and running out the back door. I'm, I'm, uh, you're on your own. I, I've looked at my wife and said, you can do it or you can call somebody else, but it ain't going to be me. I'm sorry. But it's dead, she says. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's still one of those things. And I guess this came, I was about 10 years old. I'm living in Florida, and you know Florida's got, what do they got? Roaches, huge ones that fly at you. I mean like dive bombers, right? So snakes galore uh, that are there and all sorts of runny ratty creatures so I, I go outside we've got one of those lawn chairs you know i'm sitting in and i sit down i didn't know it at the moment but it turned out to be just a harmless <laughs> i always like when someone tells me that a harmless green garden snake now i know green garden snakes are harmless but at the moment that it wrapped itself around my arm when i sat in that chair i was not going to cool and calmly look and go excuse me Are you harmless or not harmless? Let me go through my uh, etymology or whatever that is of snakes. Let's see. Hmm. Oh, I remember seeing a pic. No way. I took that chair and launched it about 40 feet straight up in the ground as I screamed all the way into my house. Now, again, you can tell me all day long that that snake wasn't going to hurt me. It didn't matter. We've got to, just like I took that lawn chair and launched it as far away from me in one direction as I was running in the other direction... That's what we're supposed to do with those things that hold us down, that keep us from changing. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. 
lay aside every weight and every sin that which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's Hebrews 12, 1. We need to get rid of all the excess weight. In the original, old-timey, back to the Greeks when they ran, do you know they ran without a uniform? No uniform. Uh, the thought was at that point that they would have nothing that would encumber their race. I'm so glad we changed those rules for right now, but nonetheless, I get the picture. We're supposed to rid ourselves of any weight by repenting of those things that we have in our lives and moving the other direction. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, they're all forms of sin that you and I deal with. They all base on themselves on some kind of untruth. And ultimately, Satan's easiest trick on you and on me is to feed us a lie. And when we lie, slander, deceit, or hypocritical to others, we are in essence looking like and acting like Satan wants us to look. None of these works of the flesh have any place for those of us that are born again. Rather, we should be obedient to His Word. Believers are to make decisions that breaks with the past. Yet we have to rid ourselves, that's what Peter is calling it, not a one-time event. It's not something we take care of once and it's all gone. That ridding of ourselves is an actual daily event. A, a constant pushing aside, walking the other direction, recognizing that at any time, if I'm not moving away, I probably am moving toward. So I don't want to move toward sin. I want to do the opposite. I want to be constantly pushing away from sin and moving myself forward toward being who God asked me to be. Verse 2, after we throw aside all that keeps us back, we say what the next part is, we've got to run toward the answer. I mean, if we're supposed to find out who we're going to be, how we can be the very best that God designed us to be, how I can be fulfilling the gospel in in my life and with those people's lives that I touch. If I'm going to do that, I have to have some source to find out what the direction is in my life. I've got to determine which way I'm going. And if I'm going to run, I can't just run blindly away from sin. I've got to run to something. And verse 2 says this, like newborn babies, we're supposed to crave pure spiritual milk. You don't have to teach a baby to crave milk. It's built into them. And in the middle, two o'clock of the night, where's Sarah, bless your heart, you're going to find out at two o'clock in the night, a baby can try, cry louder than any known human voice can ever been. Somehow their, their voice can rattle pictures on the wall. It doesn't matter. But sometimes all it takes, all they're crying for, is a mother's touch, a dad's hug, and some milk. And you and I need to have that same craving for the milk of God's Word. For it's there that we find our meaning and our purpose. It's there we find which direction to run to. Philippians 3.14 puts it this, this way. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. The word press is this. It's isometric. 
It's a, I can push as hard with my right hand as with my left hand. It's never going to go anywhere. It's constant pressure. It's forever pushing against the wall that seems like it never overcomes itself. It's always there in front of me. I got to see that kind of pressing forward for the prize. Not a casual shove. Not a casual just kind of, kind of moving in this direction. No, I've got to press hard. Give it everything I've got. As much as I turn away from sin, I've got to give that much and more and more is what the scripture says toward running toward the prize of the calling, the high calling that Christ on our lives. The Bible is the answer of any question you have in life. The Bible is the answer to any question you have in life. And you and I, we need to run toward it. Instead, Many people casually walk beside it, admire it at times, leave it on their coffee table if it's at home, come to church on Sunday and nod our heads and occasionally say, "Uh uh-huh, amen, clap our hands. But we walk away from this building and our faith resides in this building. Our faith lives in this hour. In this short time, all that we know is spiritual is found here. And the rest of life, there's no pressing in. There's no pushing. Can you imagine that a baby would come to this place and for one hour or one hour and a half have all the milk that it's going to need to sustain itself throughout the entire week? That a baby would say, now fill up here because you're not going to get back and find out what that is until next Sunday. God's Word calls us to have this insistent craving upon God's Word. It's the only way that we can find ourselves not only ready for change, but a decision of change to what, God? Change from what, God? We're only going to discover that by looking in God's Word and by hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us. One writer said, When a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment that it grows in. You don't fix the flower. And sometimes the environment that you and I live in is an environment that has very little God in it at all. Sometimes we get our God dosage here and we walk away and we stumble through the week upset because God is not all He's promises to be. Upset that somehow this religion that I think I'm a part of doesn't fulfill the greatest and and deepest need I have in my life. So I'm going to come back Sunday and I'm going to give it another try because it's what I'm supposed to do. And somehow I see that it looks like it's working for other people, but I really honestly don't know in the depths of my heart why it doesn't work for me. Well, I'm going to tell you why. The Bible tells us why. Because the only way we're going to understand the truth of God is to discover it in His letter to each of us. It is the answer to all of our questions. When you change your authority, you change your God. When you change your authority, the things that set your compass, the things that determines your right and wrong, the thing that gives you direction of which way to go, when you change that, You change your God. For many of us, it's from a little G to a big G. But I'm telling you, too often, many of us, while even though we are a follower of Christ, when we walk out of this building, unfortunately, sometimes we put the big G aside and all of a sudden the little G rises up and we listen for what 
that little g tells us to do. A number of years ago, Lifeway did a survey, and that survey uh, registered for a number of, uh, a couple of thousand believers, followers of Christ, who said, when asked the question, do you desire to please and honor Jesus Christ in all that you do? 90% of the people questioned said yes. All desire to please and honor Jesus in all they do. But if you read a little farther down on the survey, 81% of those said they do not read their Bible. Wait, how can 90% say that they want to follow and that they want Christ to be the guider and director of their life when they're not in touch with Him at all? They have no idea what direction He's pushing them toward. If we're supposed to look to this verse to not only desire change in our lives, then we've got to find out change to what and change from that. And you and I can only find that in the Bible. Peter doesn't say, if we're newborn babies. Peter doesn't say, when we're newborn babies. He doesn't say while we're newborn babies, but rather we are to continue throughout our lives, the days of our lives, to be newborn babes in that we crave the sincere sincere milk of the Word. Some of you know the story of a good friend of mine. I did not bring this picture. Uh, it's worse than that one. I was 18 years old. Um, I'm traveling on the road with a Christian group. Uh, Mark was from uh, Denton, Texas. And Mark had just come back from Vietnam. It was a terrible place for him. In the midst of everything that was going on there, Mark became a full-blown addict of heroin. And it ruled his life. And he came back. And in that disaster that was then a 21-year-old young man, he found Christ. And it totally, radically changed Mark's life. He has not been raised in church. He didn't know all the stories that many of you and I know. He, all he knew was this. Christ was enough and he had been changed. That he was once lost, but now he's been found. That Christ's blood is sufficient for him. That he'd been forgiven and he has a home in eternity. So we would travel in a car. There was usually five of us in the car, two in the front and three in the back. And Mark most times would, I don't know why, but he used to sit right in the middle of the back seat. So when you're, when I was driving, I could look in the rearview mirror and Mark's head was kind of sitting right there. He had a little bitty mustache. He had the heart hair, long hair kind of parted down in the middle, kind of the hippie thing going on and just new to the Christian market was the living Bible. A Bible that for the first time for many of us, we could read and understand. We didn't have to hither thou toest kind of thing. You know, we didn't like that when it was Shakespeare. We certainly didn't like it at church because it didn't make any sense to us. And all of a sudden here was a Bible that not only it made sense, but it spoke to us. And Mark would sit in the back seat and he had a beautiful smile, but I don't know what it was about it. It's like he was embarrassed for you to see him smile, but he'd sit in the back seat. All of a sudden I'd hear... And I'd look and he'd be covering up his mouth with his one hand. He'd put his hand like this. He'd be going. <laughs> I'd, I'd leave him alone. He'd look back down. <laughs> the other guys would be asleep. And I'd go, Mark, what are you laughing about? He'd say, it says he loves me. It says he died for me. Mark got it for the first time in his life. 
He was reading a Bible that spoke to him that talked about the salvation that he experienced. It gave him a direction for in life. It was incredible to see Mark fall in love with the Word of God. It was no surprise to know that one day Mark would grow up to be a pastor. Because from day one, he discovered the joy that he found in pure milk. The next and third is verse 2b. It tells us that we may grow in respect to our salvation. Well, what do we have to do at this point if we find the word, that if we flee from where we need to go, put down those sins, turn and move the other direction, press as hard as we can toward the spiritual milk of God's word, then once we get it in ourselves, our lives, and we open the word and we find something, you and I, we just need to grow up. I mean, hey, here's a kind of a Michael version of basically what the Bible says to me sometimes. Hey, boy, put on your big boy pants. I mean, just grow up, son. I mean, have you ever heard someone say to you, or maybe you've said to your teenagers, you're 15 years old, act like it. Yeah, someone said that to you one time, didn't they? I think sometimes God wants to say to us, Michael, you're a believer in Christ. Act like it. People around you need you. People around you, the encounter, want to see Christ in you. You are me with feet and hands on it wherever you go. Grow up, son. Grow up. And this verse says, I have to grow up in respect to my salvation. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired of God and useful to teach us what is true. It makes us realize that we're, what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. If we're going to change, we've got to put the stuff down that holds us back. We've got to run quickly to God's Word, and then we've got to press in on growing up in God's Word, growing up to living out the life that Christ has before us. And last is this. It says we also need to grow out. I'm going to make this distinction because that word is a little unusual other than just grow up in at this. I think there is on this last one one additional malady that some of the church suffers today. We are by and large in the America church today the most knowledgeable Christians in the history of the world. We know more about God's Word than previous generations ever thought of knowing. It's at our fingertips. We've heard great preaching all of our life. We now have it on our, on our laptops and on our phones and on our pads. It's right there. Not only is some of you hear great preaching week in and week out from Pastor Jimmy, you go and hear three and four and five and six other preachers during the week. You, you are not lacking for hearing God's Word. The, the, the fallacy is this. Too many people don't take that word and let it change them. I can't reveal a source. I would be violating, first I'd be violating HIPAA laws, but I don't want to insult somebody. It's not anybody here, I can tell you this. But somewhere in my past, my wife had the opportunity in the workplace to come across somebody who attended the church that we both attended. My wife would say, as a lone or almost lone, I think there's one other 
fellow believer in her work at that time, working around all the rest of the people who were not followers of Christ, she would watch. When this person would come in or would get on the schedule, they would look that morning, everybody in the office would say this, Oh, gosh, look who's coming today. I hate it when they come. She's so irritable. She's so hard to please. Nothing's ever right. She complains about everything. And Pam would say, the last would be this, the one that hurt the most. And she's a Christian. You and I have got to take the word of God we hear and take it from here and do something with it. Old story goes that a pastor got up and preached and came back the next week and preached the same message and came back the next week and preached the same message. And the the personnel team who just called him after the third time kind of, Pastor, can we talk for a second? Sure. You've been here three weeks. You preached the same message three times. We think maybe it's time for you to move on. His response was this, I will when you learn to do what I told you to do the first time. Maybe some good truth there. If we're going to change, not just want to grow, but be willing to change, we've got to push ourselves away from the things that that hold us down. We've got to run fervently toward the Word of God. We've got to grow up into the knowledge and understanding of what God has called us to become. And then we've got to live out the truth in our lives. If we'll do that, and God's promised this, when we wake up tomorrow morning, the change is going to be in process. You and I are going to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday. And if I ask you the question next year, this year, have you grown more spiritually than you have before last year? You can say yes. Why? Because I ran away. I ran toward. I dug deep. And I let the faith of God grow out in me. Who do you want to be when you grow up? Who does Christ want you to be when you grow up? That's the question. Would you pray with me? Before we pray, let me just say that there are, in any time a size of room, people like this. There are people that struggle with this because they deeply, quietly in their heart realize They really are not following Christ. They're just kind of watching Christianity, looking at it from a distance. There is no sense of buy-in. There is no sense of trust. There is no sense that they have let God forgive them of their sins, that they've let God become Lord, ruler, boss of their life. And it would be crazy of me before we move forward to not say to those of you that are here, We hope that this is a safe place that you could come and say, I need that kind of God in my life. My life is aimless and miserable and insignificant at times. And I realize maybe today for the first time that I'm going to only find the answer to those questions in a personal relationship with Christ. We can help you with that. The pastor is going to be right down here at front. Maybe you don't even know what your next steps are. Would you walk down here and put your hand in his hand and just say, I want to know what it means to follow Christ. And second is this. 
If you've been like I have been sometimes in my life, there's some of you here that are really good at playing church. And some of you here, when you go out Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday and wherever you go, sometimes we don't represent the Christ who lives in us very well. But here's the good news. We can begin again. For His mercies are new every morning. His grace can begin again in you today. And if that's who you are today, then you can sit right in your seat and make that change. But sometimes I need to kind of step forward and let somebody hold me accountable to that change. I need to come and tell pastor, look, I'm not living the life that Christ has called me to. I'm not loving his word like I should be. I'm not involved like I need to be. I'm too much of a casual Christian. Pastor, help me become more who Christ designed me to be. If either of you, those of you are here today, as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come forward and let's quit playing church. Let's let Christ be alive in us and in this place and in our lives. Father, for that we pray, for your grace to move freely and your spirit to speak. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.